It's Sunday, August 9th, 2015, and you're listening to episode 374 of Fear the Boot, a show about tabletop role-playing games and a little bit more. Running time for this episode is 28 minutes. Welcome to Fear the Boot. My name is Dan, and once again, I'm here alone. I promise you this is not becoming a solo show. I just decided to do another solo episode because I was taking a look at all of the announcements and giveaways and stuff that we've got going on, and I was worried that if I did not break this up into a a handful of shows and do so relatively quickly, that you'd be getting an episode that was like 30 minutes of announcements, which I really don't want to do to you. So, all good stuff. I believe we want to talk about it, and you want to hear about it, so you're here getting a little extra Fear the Boot this weekend just from me. So first off, a reminder, the Battletech giveaway is still going on. If you want to win the Battletech box set that was just released by Catalyst, get started with the game. Then all you have to do is tweet to Fear the Boot on Twitter. That's just Fear the Boot, one word. Tweet hash Gen Con 2015 and just either give us the name of your favorite mech or tell us you don't have one and we'll put you into that drawing. And we will be cutting that off at the end of Monday, August 17th. Second thing is there's a D&D trivia night, and I mentioned this before several episodes back, but I want to mention it again. If you live here in the St. Louis area, there's going to be a D&D trivia night at the St. Charles Fantasy Shop on August 22nd at 6 p.m. And the Fantasy Shop in St. Charles, I believe, will have moved by then to their new address, which is at 2125 Zumbel. And I'm going to put a link to their address and also a link to the flyer for the trivia night in the show notes. Now, what this trivia night is supporting is a gentleman who used to manage the fantasy shop. So this was a pre-Brodor Brodor. But he unfortunately has developed a rather serious health condition, which is requiring a triple organ transplant. And there's no hospital in the area that's capable of doing all three organs he needs. And so he's going to have to be moved out of state and so the travel costs and such are obviously quite a burden to his family. So for 20 bucks a person for eight-man tables, so a total of 160 bucks, you can get into the trivia night. There will also be a silent auction. Or if you aren't in the St. Louis area but would like to donate to this cause, then they do have a GoFundMe campaign running. Once again, I'll link all of this in the show notes. They have asked, though, that if you're going to attend, please check that flyer and get your registration in by August 14th. Uh, because they want to make sure everything's cleared and taken care of before the 22nd rolls around. All right, third and finally for this episode, then we're going to come back with some more giveaways and such next show. There's an anthology of fiction that was just released called Baby Shoes, and for anyone that's not familiar with the old folk tale, there's a, a story that says Ernest Hemingway was once challenged to write a compelling story in only six words, and he wrote, For Sale, Baby Shoes Never Worn. Now, there's some question as to whether that story is true, but that was the inspiration for the Baby Shoes Anthology, which was put out by Jason Brick. It has 100 stories by 100 authors, and these are all flash fiction stories. They're all about a 1,000 words or less, so the idea is to tell a story in a relatively small space. And I am featured in there, as is Eddie Webb, uh, Beth Roper, which is Pat's wife, a whole bunch of people from the Fear the Boot community from games in general from other podcasts i'm not going to bore you guys by reading off a hundred names but i will put a link to the book in the show notes if you want a copy off of amazon either physical paperback or a kindle edition you want to pick that up uh because once again i know there's some great stories in there so please check that out 
All right, so let's get down to a gaming topic. The item I want to talk about today is a cluster of questions, starting with the question that Fear the Boot has been asked more time than any other question we get asked. In fact, this is the only question we're asked so frequently that we have a templated response to it. We had to write it up so we could simply copy and paste it to get the information out as often as it's requested, and that is, where do I start with Battletech? Because a lot of people look at Battletech or they hear us talking about Battletech and they like what they see, but the game is just absolutely overwhelming. There are so many books. It's been around for so many years that they just don't have any idea where to even begin. Now, fortunately, Catalyst has made this easier than it used to be. If you go onto the Catalyst website, and I'm going to link all this in the show notes, so please check the show notes for these links, you can find quick start rules, free rules, for the Battletech board game, for the role-playing game that goes with it. You can find free downloads that explain to you in about 40 or 50 pages a sort of historical synopsis of Battletech and where it's been. All that stuff, completely free of charge. They talk about the eras of play, so if you're confused by all the different years that people play Battletech, what's the difference between 2750 or 3025 or 3050 or 3063 or any of that stuff, they cover all that. And so you can look at that stuff and get a pretty good idea where to go and even try the game out, how you want to play it for free. So you've got nothing to lose by looking at that. But since I've got you here and since I'm on the mics, I'm going to give you guys a really quick primer to Battletech. And there's a lot to cover, but I'm going to try to keep it as quick as I can just so you understand what's going on with this game. Now, the first thing I need to emphasize is that Battletech is at least two games. And I say at least because you could arguably say there's more than that. But you need to at least understand there is a board game, which is where you move the mechs and vehicles around and they fight each other in a war game simulation. And then there is the mech warrior game or the role playing game where you actually create a character and talk about what it is you know and what you're good at and what you're not so good at and play the person. And depending upon the exact version of the rules you're using and how good your GM is, those two games can either be played completely standalone or they can be played completely integrated, or they can be played somewhere in between. Okay, so exactly how hard of a break there is between the person and the mech, that's really something that you as a group get to decide and kind of tweak out based on the rules. My preferred way of playing the game is to highly integrate them. I like the games to be as indistinguishable as they possibly can be. But if you go to a convention and find a Battletech tournament, they are probably playing just the board game with absolutely no character stuff whatsoever. All right, so this is really cooked to taste. So that's the first thing you got to figure out when you want to start Battletech, is what is the game you're trying to play? The second thing you need to decide is what is the era you want to play in? Because the era of play is going to determine what's going on in terms of current events, what technologies are available, what the culture is like. It is really going to govern the feel of the game. And you get very different feels depending on when you play the game. Do you want a feudal feel with scarcity and honor and mechs are unique and these heritage items like we're always gushing about? Well, that's the older eras of play. That's going to be like the 3025 era of play. Do you want something where mechs are higher tech and a little bit more disposable? And it's a little more like your badass tank than it is, per se, a knight's heritage. Well, if that's the case, you want to go with a future era of play. Do you want a real heavy sense of desperation and insanity in warfare where anything goes? Well, that's going to be the jihad era of play. All right, so let me walk through some of those eras real quick 
And I'm going to give you a history of Battletech as intellectual property and also its internal history. And just quick points here. But when Battletech started off, it was kicked off in the very early 1980s by the FASA Corporation, originally under the name Battle Droids. And it quickly got renamed to Battletech. And they started gameplay around the 3025 era of play. And the history of Battletech prior to that point within the universe was that there had been a single central ruling government for the known galaxy, and that was called the Star League. And the Star League was an army that operated out of the cluster of worlds right around Earth, which was called the Terran Hegemony. And outside that little core were these five great houses that controlled the majority of settled planets. And together, they formed what's known as the Inner Sphere. Okay, so these six powers are known as the Inner Sphere. And you had a feudal society where the Star League and that Terran core represented kind of the the ruling house over everything. They were the throne. And all the other houses were nobles that then derived their power from that central house. And then they, in turn, had nobles beneath them and then beneath them and then beneath them that dealt with ruling all the way down to the local level. And the thinking was that humanity was so large and so spread out that highly centralized government just didn't work anymore. So a feudal society that ruled from the bottom up was working a lot better for them. And at the edges of this, you have what's called the periphery kingdoms, because they exist at the periphery of the inner sphere, which were pirates and independent powers and nations that had all these varying types of leadership and levels of technology and culture and so on and so forth. But what happens is there's a war where the Star League has to run off and fight one of these periphery powers. And while they're doing that, a guy by the name of Stefan Amherst comes in and he wipes out the Cameron family, which is the lineage that had been ruling the Star League. And with them dead, the five great houses, each of their families come along and say, hey, our family ought to take that throne. And so they begin fighting over the succession to that throne. And that's what's known as the succession wars. And the Star League, realizing they've kind of lost control, rather than getting caught up in the Civil War, they decide they're just going to exit stage left. So they pack up the majority of the army and they just disappear and leave and basically head off to go find new planets to colonize. All that gets left behind of them is there are two corporations that are on Earth that are involved in communication, and they unite and form a force known as Comstar, which only takes over one solar system, which is the one that Earth is in, declare themselves neutral, and become something like the Catholic Church over the inner sphere, and that they have no technical political power, but their exerted power, their influence is incredible. And the one thing that they wield over everyone is not religion. It's communication. They alone know how to do faster than light communication. And if you don't play by their rules, they shut it off through an interdiction. Once again, a very Catholic term here. They shut it off through an interdiction, and you are now at a massive strategic disadvantage to everyone else. All right, so it's in this era of play, these succession wars, where most of the original Battletech stuff occurs. And they had some problems because at the start of the succession wars, there was no limit to warfare. You win by doing as much damage as you can to the enemy in any way that you can. And that means going after scientists, research centers, factories, and they actually reduced their level of technology and industry in doing so. They increased the scarcity of know-how and of available parts. And so they had to come up with their own rules called the Ares Convention. It's kind of like our Geneva Convention that put some boundaries on war. 
that said, we're going to fight and we're going to fight hardcore, but we're only going to fight in certain ways. If you reach these lines, you can't cross them. You can't destroy interstellar ships anymore because we don't know how to make them. Uh, You can't go after research centers anymore. You can't use atomic bombs anymore. And so once again, this is the succession wars. This is where most of Battletech took place while FASA had control of the intellectual property. And this runs from the 3025 era of play right up to, but not including 3050, which is when the clans invade. The clan invasion was the last major event that FASA dealt with before they lost the intellectual property. And what the clan invasion is, is the Star League army goes off out into these worlds that they settle, and they end up having some struggles of their own. And what comes out of that is while they don't lose technology in their war, they are struggling much more for general resources because they don't have thousands of colonized worlds like the Inner Sphere does. And so they come up with a way of trying to limit warfare, not by technology, but by the scope of it. The idea that you can resolve a war with the lowest number of combatants and resources possible. And they create this caste-based society. And there's five castes. And for remembering rights, the warrior caste, the scientist caste, the merchant caste, the artisan caste, and the laborer caste. And after birth, you are separated into one of these castes, with the warrior being the one that everybody wants. If you do well enough within the warrior caste, you are allowed to go on to donate genetic material, which is then used to breed the next generation of planners. And there are regular births and such, but they call them free births and they look down upon them. If you're the right person in this society, you want to have been genetically engineered. And the reason that happened is because when they had their own wars, the son of the general that led this army out there, he needed more warriors than he had. And so what he started doing was cloning and genetically engineering copies of his own soldiers. And he did this using these incubators that were actually designed for premature births. But he converts them to now take embryos almost from creation. And so he starts just producing warriors And they call themselves the true births. They believe that they are the rightful way, the clean way that a a warrior or a clanner should be made. And so what happens in 3049, the Star League army, which has now become these 20 clans, all designed around this caste-based system and honor and a lack of individualism with the idea that the whole matters more than the person does and all these crazy alien weird things they got going on, they decide it's time to retake the inner sphere and reestablish the Star League. And so in 3049, they hit the periphery and they begin invading toward Earth, basically on a race, because whoever gets there first uh, is allowed to become the ultimate clan and reestablish the Star League. And so the Inner Sphere fights them, but having such messed up technology and whatever, they have a lot of trouble doing it. Though by this point, they have started to recover some of that lost technology. But what ultimately stops them is when Comstar realizes it's Earth they're headed for, Comstar basically says, okay, we can't let you do that. And so they'd been setting out the warp to this point. But what they do is they suddenly unveil that they had been mothballing all of this Starly equipment. And so they actually had this huge military reserve sitting on Earth and Mars and a few other places and were actually capable of fielding a very large and very technologically sophisticated army. And so they basically call out the clans and they say, look, we're going to fight you according to your rules. One fight, one planet to serve as a proxy for Earth. If we win, you stop the invasion for 15 years. If we lose, then we will surrender and Comstar will become a part of the clans and we will give you Earth. But what happens is Comstar wins, and so the invasion stops. And during that lull in the invasion, the Inner Sphere starts to 
regroup. They start to investigate some of the clan technology, develop their own technology more. They start reorganizing a bit. And eventually they get their real breakthrough when they are given what's called the Exodus Road. And what the Exodus Road is, is it's the highly classified path from the inner sphere to the clan homeworlds. It's so classified that no clanner even knows the entire Exodus Road. You're only allowed to know a piece of it. But one guy manages to put the whole thing together and gives it to the inner sphere. And so the inner sphere counter invades, attacks the clans on their own homeworlds, and actually completely wipes out a clan or two and defeats them and basically forces them to call off the entire invasion. This is the era of play going into the late 3050s and the early 3060s. And this is about where FASA went under as a company and gave up the intellectual property. They might have gotten a little farther than this, but the next era of play was really covered more heavily by other companies. So if you play in the 3025 era of play, you get all that feudalism, that scarcity, whatever. If you play in the 3050 era of play on through the early 3060s, that scarcity and feudalism is starting to give way to a sense of soldiery and republic. I guess if you want to compare it to something, think you're moving away from the Middle Ages and into the Renaissance. And that's not just technologically true, but it's kind of culturally true as well. So at this point, FASA goes under, and the intellectual property is given to WizKids and then to Tops, the baseball card company. And while at Tops, they decide to re-engineer the game from the ground up as a clicks-based game, which... I was not real pleased with. A lot of people weren't pleased with. But the idea is to shoot the setting way off in the future. I think it was something like 100 years into its own future. And what had happened was they had entered a new dark age. The communications arrays that Comstar ran simply ceased working, and no one's exactly sure why. And there's all this mystery. And technology is driven even farther back, and people are really at a loss as to what's going on around them. And in that sort of subsistence and desperation they start fielding all kinds of things so you have real battle mechs but then next to them you've got like farm mechs that just have machine guns strapped to them or whatever so if you want an era of play that's really brutal and it's not just scarce i mean i think i'm using the right word here and calling it subsistence then you probably want the dark ages era of play however the dark ages era of play is not as well supported as it once was because that is the only point where battletech really went off into a different set of rules and I'll come back to that in a little bit here talking about additions. But that continues until WizKids and Tops give up the property, and it bounces through FanPro and then eventually makes its hands to Catalyst. And Catalyst decides to go back to the original timeline. So they kind of rewind from the Dark Age. And they say, well, this is still canon, but this hasn't happened yet. Let's talk about the events between here and there. And they deal with something in the 3060s that's called the Jihad. And what the Jihad is, is Comstar gets really powerful, and as happens to everybody in Battletech when they get really powerful, they have a civil war. And they have a fight between this Reformation and Counter-Reformation over the identity of Comstar. What is Comstar going to be? Are we going to help people and be more forthcoming and involved, or are we going to remain more secluded and mysterious? The more fanatical set called the Word of Blake, named after their founder, a guy by the name of Jerome Blake, they gather a few loyal forces around them, and they take on everybody. And it is no hordes bar warfare. So you now have this high level of technology like you had in you know, the Exodus Road and such, but there are no longer any rules to it. The Aries Convention really doesn't matter anymore. Nukes are fine. Anybody's an okay target. Everything's an okay target. This is total war down to the last. In fact, this is something like the last days of the Star League or the First Succession War. This is history repeating itself. 
So if you want an era of play that's very chaotic, that's very violent, but still has a high level of technology and a higher industrial availability, this is the era you want to play, the Jihad era. And all of these eras are described, once again, on the Catalyst site, so I will give you a link to that in the show notes. Do some more reading, because I'm just hitting stuff at the high points here. All right, so let me hit up a few questions, specific questions about Battletech that some people threw at me on Facebook and a couple other places. And I don't have time to hit them all, but I'll hit some of them. The first one is someone was asking me, what edition do I prefer and why? That's really not an issue with Battletech. Um, I know if you look at games like 40K or D&D or Shadowrun, they change very radically from edition to edition. Battletech does not. If you had a basic starter book from the 1980s and you took it to a convention today, yes, there would be some differences in the rules. There would not be many. The bell curve of what you know and what you had in front of you would all be the exact same. And I love Battletech for that. It's a game that keeps expanding outward. It doesn't just say, well, we're going to make more money by starting you over. Now, MechWarrior, the role-playing game, is a little bit different. MechWarrior has changed pretty radically. And they went through three editions of MechWarrior under the name MechWarrior. So there's MechWarrior 1st Edition, 2nd Edition, 3rd Edition. And the current one by Catalyst, they don't call MechWarrior 4th Edition. Uh, they call it A Time of War. Of those, my preferred is MechWarrior 2nd Edition. Now, if you want the one that's still supported, A Time of War is the one for you. And they have a free PDF of that on the website, just like they got all these other free samples. My complaint with the Time of War is, yes, Battletech is a crunchy system, but there was always an elegance and purpose to the crunch. There was always a sort of harmony to it. A Time of War, to me, just felt confusing. It felt like too much stuff without really that harmony, you know, that sense of cohesion to it. And so I personally still prefer the MechWare second edition rules. If you can find those on Amazon or eBay, go for it. If you can't, A Time of War is not a horrible game. It's just not my thing. And I don't know, the Quick Start Guide, of course, strips the rules down, simplifies them. Maybe that's the game I ought to be playing. I have actually not read the Quick Start rules. I only read the full book, which is like three or 400 pages. So the Quick Start Guide of 40 pages, that really might be the game I'm looking for. I don't know. I'll have to give it a look. <laughs> this one I love. The clans, they spell it with a K, which, by the way, I'm not making fun of you. That is awesome. Sound intriguing. Do they wear the white hoods over their mechs? <laughs> God bless you, man. That's exactly the kind of talk that we need. That's exactly the outlook on Battletech there needs to be. You sound like you got a bright future in the game, and you understand exactly how this works. So, yeah, screw the clans. I actually thought for a while that Clan Founding Day, which is the only named holiday they give the clans, I actually thought it was on Hitler's birthday. But I was off because one's in April, one's in August. I thought they were both in August. I'm wrong about Hitler's birthday. I guess I should be proud of that. Here's another question about the clans. This one's a little bit less intentionally comedic. In an older episode, I suggested that I had a different direction in mind for Battletech. What was that? To answer the question, I did not like the idea that the clans represented this enormous technological and cultural force. Because it was always my contention that cl the clans were fundamentally unsustainable. To explain what the clans are in a little bit more detail than I did before, so when the Star League goes through its fight, what they call, I think it's called the Exodus War, where they start wiping each other out, and Alexander Kerensky's son, Nicholas, uh, he comes along and says, well, I'm going to create this new society. It has these casts and puts warriors on top, and everybody else is a second-class citizen or third or 15th class or whatever, and has all this internal bigotry between the genetically engineered and non-genetically engineered people. And they put war and warriors above all else and really kind of crap all over the other casts. And they did kind of retcon some of that later, but especially in the early takes on the clans. I mean, just either you were a genetically engineered warrior or you were just nobody. 
And a society like that can't last. I mean, if we look at any warrior society throughout history, okay, yeah, they can stand for a while. But ultimately, that is not a sustainable plan. Because how do you have this fully functional, fully stable society with well-organized industry and technology that has surpassed what the Star League had and all this stuff when they crap all over the people, the 80 or 90 percent of society it takes to make that happen? And I also did not like the clans because I felt they did something Battletech generally didn't do. Battletech was always about adding diversity and depth to the game, never about raising the bar in terms of power and technology. Or if you did, the technology always had a cost. You know, yeah, okay, this laser shoots farther, but it also generates more heat. It has other problems. So it's always rebalanced. And then along with the clans, it's only everything's just bigger, badder, more powerful. And FASA was going even farther off the ranch than that before they shut down. And they were getting into all this weird crap with these, like, cartoons and trading card games and cybernetics, just whatever ridiculousness, that it was just about making the game more and more munchkin-y and less and less deep. And I think they could have told a far more interesting story with the clans if they had done what would strike me as a little bit more of a plausible story, which is the clans go out there, they have their fight, they reorganize, but when they hit the inner sphere again, really what they have is Star League-level technology they've just been hanging on to and recycling, which still puts them above the inner sphere. They've got these genetically engineered warriors, but they are so focused on war that when it comes to actually dealing with day-to-day life, trying to actually pacify and govern these planets, protect their own supply lines, actually deal with the economics of large-scale war, which is something they didn't do because they were very focused on small-scale war, that I think what you would have seen is the clans come in like a hammer and done a lot of damage and really shaken things up and then relatively quickly imploded. You know, once they started to get stretched thin, once their supply lines start falling apart, once their society suddenly has to interact intimately with the much larger culture of the inner sphere where they're outnumbered many, many, many to one, then piece by piece, they just start to lose steam and fall apart and ultimately become nothing more than sort of warring nomads and and people just sort of melded in with society. And I think if you look at societies that went this way, this really does fit the history of how it went down. I mean, you can look at what happened with Alexander the Great. You can look at what happened with the Vikings. You can look what happened with the Vandals or the Goths or any of these societies was they go out, they conduct war, and then it's really not all that long before what they had built falls back in on itself because it was really never a stable formula to begin with. And I think that's a much more plausible story for the clans. But at the time, I mean, FASA, they were going after a younger audience. They were kind of pushing their side, their upper teen and 20-something and 30-something fans in favor of a younger, more kind of schoolyard sort of group. And that group, they wanted bigger power. They wanted bigger batter, you know, more flash. FASA itself took on a formula that really was not sustainable. They went out and they got that quick buck and then interest in the game imploded, at least at that level. And I think that's why if you look at the game, uh, so much of it has gone on rewind back to earlier eras of play and such. And I love Catalyst for supporting multiple eras of play. They haven't done away with that stuff if you want it, but you don't have to play that. I think that's where I'm going to wrap this one up. I could probably talk about Battletech for hours on end, but I am a believer that it takes a certain type of person to make a monologue-type podcast interesting. And I don't know that I am that person. And so I don't want to try and push my luck by turning this into a three-hour show. But I do thank you guys for the questions. And in the future, if I'm not able to get people here or whatever, I still might do future solo episodes. 
and come back to talk more about Battletech or capital ships or who knows what. So if you've got anything you want me to talk about, don't hesitate to let me know on the forums or on Facebook or on Twitter. And once again, check the show notes, all the links to the Catalyst stuff, the D&D Trivia Night, the Baby Shoes Anthology, and also the Battletech Starter Box Set Giveaway that is going on right now on Twitter. You definitely want to be a part of all of that and catch us next show because we have more giveaways coming up. So thank you guys for tuning in. Have a great week and great games, and we will catch you next time. This has been a production of Fear the Boot, copyright 2015. Listeners are free to use this show in any non-commercial endeavor as long as credit is provided to feartheboot.com. You can find previous episodes and other resources at feartheboot.com. Fear the Boot is also a member of the Pulp Gamer Media Network of Shows. You can find other great shows in this network at pulpgamer.com.